0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So we're we've been looking at uh, the book of First John and studying about what the Bible has to tell us about uh, friendships and how we can navigate some difficult things in our friendships. Why friendships are important and also why they're difficult. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about. Conflict, And I'll be upfront with you, I'm not great at conflict. And so I feel a little unqualified to be up here talking to you about uh, conflict. But I know God's word has a lot of wisdom for us and how we can navigate uh, this issue. And I know that we have conflict. All of us are familiar with conflict. You have conflict from the very beginning, right? We deal with conflict in all of our relationships, in all of our friendships, even when we're young. Uh, I heard a story recently, uh, my sister, she has uh she has three kids but the the oldest two are twins two twin girls and when they were little uh one time she was uh making some food in the kitchen and she heard them arguing and like fighting out in the other room like you know it starts to escalate and you start to hear them whine and kind of yell at each other and then they were kind of getting physical and they started like wrestling each other so she walks out and she says, hey, what's, what's going on? What is happening? Kind of pulls them apart, separates them. And one of the girls looks at her and says, she took my camera. And so she looks at the other girl. She doesn't see a camera. She says, well, what'd she do with it? Where is it? She said, no, mom, it's an imaginary camera. She, she says, well, maybe you could imagine there's, there's two cameras. And then you could both play with them. She said, no, mom. There's one camera and she took it, right? She's mad. She's mad about it, right? Like, and we all deal with conflict in all of our lives and in different ways, right? So they approached it by wrestling one another, right? For me, my approach to conflict is to avoid it at all costs all the time. Maybe you're like me. There are stores in our town that I drive by regularly that I can't shop there anymore because I had a slightly confrontational interaction with maybe a cashier or uh, a waiter there. There are places where we'll be driving home, and my wife, Shannon, will say, hey, can you pull into this store? We need to pick something up. And I'll be like, no, we can't go there. She'll say, why? Because that lady might be there. She's like, what lady? You know the cashier. Like, last time I was shopping there, last time I was buying groceries, I went to swipe my card, and she says, no, you put it in, the chip, it reads it. They all kind of do that now. And the way she said it really made me mad, but... I didn't want to say anything, and I felt dumb, and so I just took an oath that I'm never going to shop there ever again as long as I live. She says, so now we can't shop at the store right by our house because you had this fight? And I said, well, you know, we could pray that that store goes out of business and that a new one opens up, and then we can go back and shop there again, right? But that's our only solution. That's the only solution I see, right? That's insane. That's not healthy. That's not good, but that's often how I deal with conflict, and I'm sure you can relate to that too, right? You don't handle conflict well. None of us really handle conflict well. And some of us think we handle conflict well, and we probably don't. All of us have had friendships that have been affected by conflict. All of us have had friendships that maybe the friendship got real weird, or that friend went silent on you, or even that friendship just blew up because you and your friend didn't handle conflict well. It's a really important part of our relationships. And if I can go even deeper, and kind of what what burdens me for this topic is that we, if you are here and you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of, of Jesus, we need to get friendships right. And we need to learn how to handle conflict, at least get better at it. Because we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul tells us. we've been given this call to go out into the world and reconcile, restore people's relationship to God. And so for us to do that, we need to be able to restore our relationships with one another. We need to be able to have long-lasting, good, healthy friendships as models of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's, It's important. And if you're like me, you're probably kind of bad at it. And so we're going to study God's word together. And as we do, look, I'm not an expert in conflict, obviously. It's an area that I know I have a lot of weakness and I need to grow in. And I bet you're probably the same. But we'll look at God's word. We'll see what the Bible tells us about it. We'll study it together. And let's grow together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up with me uh, to the book of 1 John we are in chapter 4. We've been studying a lot in this chapter over the past few weeks, and we continue to do so today near the end of the chapter. First John 4 verse 19 says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. This is the consistent framework of the book of 1 John. If you read the book of 1 John, it's like a chorus, or like a loop. John again and again talks about God's love for us, and how much God loves us. And therefore, because we are loved deeply and greatly by God, we are to express that love and show that love to the people around us. And it's like this loop. He keeps coming back to it. And then he says, but, and he brings up an issue, but we walk in the darkness, as chapter 1 says. But we love the world too much, as chapter 2 says. And here he talks a lot about fear, and he talks a lot about hatred, that we are called by God to love those around us. But we have this fear and this hatred in us. Now, notice what he doesn't say in this command. He says, we love because he first loved us. It's not that we love other people because they are deserving of our love. It's not that we love other people because it's the nice thing to do. It's not that we love other people because then they will love us back. Those things may be true, but that's not why we as Christians are called to love other people. The standard is we are called to love other people because God first loved us. He laid down the example for us to follow. Watch where he goes next. John chapter four, verse 20 says, if anyone says I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So let's break this down for a minute. Right John tells us that if anyone says they love God but they hate their brother than they are a liar and so you might be hearing this and reading this and saying like all right good like i'm off the hook right i don't hate anybody like hate is something that's very strong in our culture um we know that hate in our times is something like a strong disdain right like we we reserve that for only uh, uh feelings that would lead to maybe violence or feelings that would lead to uh, disgust at another person. We'd say, hey, I don't hate anybody. Maybe you have kids, and sometimes they'll say that. They'll say, oh, I hate that person, or I hate that thing. And you say, whoa, whoa, we don't use hate in our house. We don't say that word here. It's a really strong word. And so when we read this verse, we think, okay, I don't hate people. But when we look at the way that the Bible defines hate, or the New Testament defines hate, we see it's a little bit different. So this word for hate, um, this Greek word for hate is used in the New Testament over 40 times. And as you read through all the different verses where this word is used, we see that this word for hate is a lot broader than our current definition. And you might say that uh, uh, someone who hates someone in the New Testament standard is someone who is bitter against someone or someone who is just against another person, not for another person. And I'll explain to you this way. Uh, there are times in our lives where we have conflict, right? Everybody has conflict. In our friendships, we have conflict. And when you get into those kind of arguments and when you get into that kind of conflict, there comes a point for some of us where we move in our hearts from saying, hey, I want to make things better with this person. I want to restore things with this person. And then we move and shift in our hearts to say, no, no, I, I want them to know that I'm right and they're wrong. And I want to win this conflict. I want to defeat them in this conflict. I am against them. It's not like, hey, we're working together. It's not like I'm for them. I want you to do well and for me to do well and for us to pet. No, it's like I'm against you and I'm for me. And in those moments, that would be hate. And so a lot more of us fall under this category than maybe we initially think. So let's, let's keep, keep looking at this. So John says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, and this is the, the Bible way, right? The Bible word for brother it's talking about people in the family of God. This applies to men and women. So you might say, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister in the faith, then he is a liar. Meaning, he doesn't mean what he says. If a person says, I love God, but then hates a brother you can't take him in his word that he really loves God. He might say that he loves God, but his actions aren't lining up with his identity that he's speaking, right? So if I were to go out to lunch with you and I told you, hey, I'm a vegan, can you take me to a vegan-friendly restaurant? Like I'm a vegan and we go to this restaurant and I just order a big steak and I just start crushing a steak in front of you. You're like, hey, I thought you said you're a vegan. I'm like, I'm a vegan, and I'm just eating this steak. Then then I'm a liar, right? I'm a liar because my actions do not line up with what I say is true about myself. And what John says here is he says, "If, if you say you love God, but then you are against your brother, then you're a liar. What you're saying is not lining up with what is actually true about you. And that should make us feel a little uneasy because I think it's pretty common for us to have people that we're against. I can almost guarantee in your life, there's that person you think of that you've had conflict with and that you wouldn't say like, no, I don't hate them, but like, I don't want them to do well. I'm not looking for them to get things together and their life to flourish. No, I, I, when I think about them, I just want them to wake up one day and realize how wrong they were and that they would come and talk to me. Tell me how right I was. That's a lot of us, right? And we're in this place where John says, whoa, then you may not be who you say you are. And he says, he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. He's saying, this is the greater challenge. If we're saying, if we're having trouble loving the people who are physically in front of us, then who are we to say we love an invisible God that we serve? If I hate my brother that I can see, I can see the way my actions affect him. I can see the way that my words affect him. He can give me feedback. I can talk to him one-on-one. He can tell me what's going on. That's the easier challenge. And if we can't do that, then we're going to struggle to love a God, an invisible God, that we have to pray and discern his will, that we can't experience with our, with our senses, that we have to know deeply and study and seek and who, who whispers to us gently in our spirit. See, it's much harder to serve and love that God than to love the person in front of us. It's a greater challenge, right? If I say, like, hey, I, you know, I can't dunk, on a nine-foot rim, I, I could have just said I can't dunk, and you're like, yeah, I know, I get that, right? Yeah, but if I say like, hey, I can't dunk on a nine-foot rim, then what's to make me think I could dunk on a 10-foot rim, right? Like, it's just, it's just gonna make it harder. And that's what John is saying here. If we can't love the people in front of us, how can we love an invisible God? And then he reminds us that this is the commandment from Jesus. If you love God, you must also love God your brother. Jesus tells us this, models this for us in his life and in his relationships. And if we were to take his name, and if we were to carry that identity, then we are called to love our brothers in the faith. Okay. So we can apply this to every part of our lives. When I talk about conflict, some of you are thinking about your husband or your wife Right? Like I get that, thinking about your kids, you're thinking about people at work. Like I get that, I get that. But we're we're really trying to narrow the scope of our time here together into friendships because friendships are really important and we believe very, very undervalued in our society. So let's look at how this applies to friendships. How we can apply this truth to friendships. One thing we know for sure: there will be conflict in our friendships because our friends are different from us. Our friends are people. They are imperfect and they will sin and we will sin against them. But here's what we learned from this passage that is super important. If you take notes, please write this down. I think it'll help us. God's love for us gives us the power and shows us the pattern for pushing through conflict and friendships. Remember one more time, God's love for us gives us the power and shows us the pattern for pushing through conflict in our friendship. So, what do I mean, pushing through conflict? It doesn't mean, you know, getting revenge. It doesn't mean pushing people out of the way. It means that when we have those friendships and those moments of conflict come up, we don't just abandon the friendship, which is honestly how most people in our world live, but we actually push through the conflict, work through the conflict together so that we can rebuild and strengthen our friendship together. And it's God's love that gives us the power and the pattern to do that. So God's love gives us the power to do that. Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love is given that God has given to us. And I want you to take this picture, right. Have any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls, some of you? you? Whoa, a lot of you made the way. All right, it's far from here. You guys got up there, yeah. Uh, I went to Niagara Falls once as a kid. Uh, It's big, it's loud, it's powerful, right? It's a lot of water that moves very quickly, right? And I want you to imagine that you had some sort of wetsuit that you wouldn't, you know, get freezing cold, and you just took a cup, like from your kitchen, a cup. And you went and you stood under Niagara Falls, right? I mean, it will probably like destroy you, but like, you know what I mean? But you stood under Niagara Falls and just picture that cup just filling up with water and overflowing, like, like it's being filled, but it's being filled so much. It's just spilling over everything everywhere. And this is the picture that the Bible gives us of God's love in our lives, that God's love is this never-ending source, this never-ending spring of love that we can return to God again and again and again to our relationship with God and be filled with his love that it will overflow in our lives to the people around us. God gives us the power to do that. And it's, it's supernatural. Because there are people in your life that are difficult and that are really difficult hard to love. And if you're being honest, you would say it takes a miracle to love that person. When I was a kid, I had a pastor and he used to say like, oh, God will put sandpaper people in your life to rub you the wrong way and to smooth the edges, All right? It's good. It's, a good. it's a very 90s pastor metaphor. It's great. But it's this idea that there are, there are people that are difficult to love in your life and God has placed them there for you to love. And it honestly might take a miracle, but God provides you the supernatural power to love the people around you. And it starts with going to him and being filled with his love through prayer. So God gives us the power to do these things. And God also gives us the pattern to love the people around us. Think through just for a minute about conflict between you and God. Times where you have known the right thing to do and decided to do otherwise. Times where you've known where God is leading you and said, no, what God, no, it's not for me. And you walked in the other direction. Times where there was conflict between you and our heavenly father. And think of the way that God has handled that conflict. God doesn't back away. God doesn't write us off. God pursues us. And he shows grace and he shows patience and he shows kindness and he shows love and he seeks to restore us and build us up again and again and again throughout our entire lives. This is the pattern that God has displayed for how he loves us and how we are now called to love one another. That is a high bar for us to live up to. And honestly, it's not something we can do on our own strength. We need the power of God's spirit within us to find that sense of love and forgiveness again, to extend to a friend who has said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing or treated us badly. Again, it takes God's power. But that's the burden for us, is that we have to get this right. Because as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are ambassadors of Christ to the world. We are are messengers and carriers of the message of reconciliation that God has brought to humanity. And, And we are called to live out this way of approaching people, of forgiving people, of restoring people and working through conflict so that we can be an example to the world of how much God loves them. Man, that's a challenge. That's a high bar. But here's what could happen. Our city and our world could change. If we became a group of people that loved God so much, and then it overflowed into our relationships, where we became those kind of friends that always pursued that always forgave, that worked through conflict and stayed by a person's side, even when they said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, man, we would be known for our love, as the Bible says. We would be known as a place to come and find friendship and find community. And people who even might have questions about God might say, hey, I don't know about this whole Jesus stuff. I don't know about the whole resurrection thing, but I know that my friend's a Christian and they're the best friend I've got. They're there for me all the time. That is going to speak so much truth about who God is and how he moves in our world more than any sermon could. This is the power that's there if we can work through our conflict with our friends. So I want to take just a couple more minutes. I want to make this super practical for us, okay? Super practical for us that all of us deal with conflict in different ways, right? Right? Uh, and some of you are married to someone who deals with conflict in a different way from you, and that's a conflict in itself, right? Like that happens all the time. Here's a couple of things that we see a lot, a couple of common ways we deal with conflict. The first is the hesitant person. The person who is hesitant to enter into a friendship, enter into a relationship with someone because they've been hurt before. Maybe you've had friends, you've had a close group of friends and someone let you down or somebody said the wrong thing or someone excluded you and you were hurt by it. And you didn't know that when you give your heart over and pour your heart into a friendship and then that friendship is turned and broken, how much it hurts. And so you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. And so you kind of keep people at arm's length. And you say, yeah, I've got friends, but, you know, nobody that's, like, really close. Nobody who really knows the real you and, and what's going on. And nobody in those real times of need where you really need a deep friendship. Nobody that you can turn to. And you might feel like you're just being safe. But the downside of that is that you're also probably lonely. And needing community, that's how God built us, to be in community with one another. And so if that's you, I want to I encourage you that the way we move forward is we first go to God, right? We love because he first loved us. We go to God in prayer. We express that brokenness. We express that pain to the God who heals, and we let him start to work in our lives. And then we go out and we start to celebrate the small wins. (laughs) Say, okay, God, I want to be obedient to you. I want to find friends. I want to truly love them. And I know to love them, I've got to let them in. So I'm going to go try to love them. And then we just celebrate the small wins. So maybe it's you come to church and you always sit in the same spot because we just do that as people. And there's that person who's been sitting next to you at church for probably five years. And you're like, I don't really know their name. And uh, we never talk. We just both get up after service and we walk out the door, right? So maybe your win, your small win is today you, you talk to that person. You say, hey, how's it going? And then you pretend like you know their name because you sat next to them for five years. You're like, hey, what's up? You just talk to them. And then you go home, you celebrate that small win. Maybe for you, you know, joining a community group is too far. So you just go online and you just look at them. And you start to know what what options are there and what's out there. And then you celebrate that win. Today, I looked, I went online and I looked at the list of groups. And you just, you start there and start letting God move in your heart in that way as you move towards friendship. For others of us, um, we deal with conflict. Uh, There's the person who just moves on. The person who... Um, has friendships that maybe last a year or two. And then as soon as conflict comes up, you're just like, I'm moving on. Maybe you tell the person, maybe you don't. Maybe just in your head, you know that you have that one hangout, that one interaction, that one dinner with that friend and they said that thing or they did that thing. And you made a decision in your heart like, okay, I'm not gonna hang out with this person anymore. I can't trust this person anymore. And so you just move on. You just let that friendship go cold. For many of us, we've had that experience in church too, right? You're part of a group, you're part of a church, and then all of a sudden there was conflict. Somebody said that thing, somebody left you out, somebody did something passive aggressive, and you thought, I'm good, I'm done with these people. You moved on. God's desire for us is to have deep, long-lasting, meaningful, life-giving friendships. And to do that, it requires time. We can become friends with people quickly, but man, to have those life-giving friendships, it, it requires time. And so my challenge to you, if you're someone who moves on quickly, if your life is full of short friendships that you would plant yourself somewhere and trust that God's gonna work in an imperfect community, in an imperfect group of people. And this one requires a lot of wisdom because sometimes we're in places that are really difficult and God is trying to grow us through the difficulty. And sometimes we're in places and in communities where it's really difficult and God's trying to tell us, hey, it's time to leave and it's time to get out. So my encouragement to you is to, to recognize your tendency, to know, hey, I'm, I'm someone that, if I'm being honest, is quick to move on and to bring those difficulties and bring those challenges to God and offer and, and go with a posture of, God, I'm, I'm here. These are my people. These are your people. I'm here until you make it clear and move me otherwise. And to start with that prayer and that outlook on your friendships and on relationships. And the last one, the last one's my favorite one because this person is me. The last one is the person who's in denial. The person who's like, it's all good. I got no conflict in my life, right? Because someone does something to me, someone says something, someone does the wrong thing, and I just let it go. Just let it ride, right? You have no conflict in your friendships because when things come up that should be conflict... Maybe you excuse the behavior, or you you just move the conversation, or you don't bring it up, or you don't address it, and you kind of just absorb it. I kind of get the visual of like a bath mat, just absorbing things, right? And that's not healthy either for long-term friendships. We know that friendships will bring conflict. And if there are friends that really have turned into bad or unhealthy friendships because there are things that need to be addressed that haven't been addressed, then the first step for you, again, is to go to God in prayer. Say, God, what's, what's going on in me? What's going on in my heart? And, and what's going underneath the service that I'm afraid to, to bring this up? And the challenge might be to start some, some uncomfortable conversations with some friends but necessary conversations with some friends that need to happen, and you trust God that he's with you, that he's guiding you, and that he's going to work through this conflict, that you will still be known and you will still be loved deeply by God, and you will still be known and you will still be loved deeply by people here in this world, even if you go through the trial and the bonding fire of conflict. So here's our advice. Here's our advice. For everybody in every situation, in every conflict, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we are to repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Repay no one evil for evil. And if possible, live peaceably with all. It means a couple things for us. If you're a Christian here, here's what it means for you. It means one, repay no one evil for evil, is that Christians always take the high road. Always. Always take the high road. Your friend's done you wrong. They've said the wrong thing. They've done the wrong thing to you. We don't respond in the way that they did that, the way that they hurt us. We don't repay evil for evil. We take the high road and we respond in grace and in truth and in love and in kindness and forgiveness. And the other part is that as long as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all people, is that Christians always take the high road and Christians always make the first move. Always, Christians make the first move. Because I know there are broken friendships in your life And honestly, the problem is the other person. I know that actually happens. I know you're like, no, really, I'm right and they're wrong. I know that happens. And so your natural posture, my natural posture is, hey, I'm going to wait until they wake up and realize what they did and they can come say, I'm sorry, and then we can move forward. But we know life doesn't work like that. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to be messengers and carriers of reconciliation. And so it is our responsibility as Christians to always make the first move, to pursue the people around us in love and pursue the people and say, hey, what's going on? Here's what's been going on. Try to get to the bottom of it for whatever part that you played in it. Yeah, man, you let me down. You hurt me real bad. It's like, yeah, but then you yelled at me for it. Like, well, yeah, sorry about that right? Like whatever part you played in it, to own up to it, to ask for forgiveness, to listen and try to make things right. Because as Christians, that is the power and the pattern that God has shown us. How does God love me? Relentlessly. God loves me relentlessly. As I think about conflict in relationships and conflict in friendship, I think about Jesus and the apostle Peter. Do you all know Peter? Peter was Jesus's right-hand man, right by his side. Peter had such high moments in his life. One of the first to declare that Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are the messenger that God has sent. You are his son. And he also had low lows. The lowest was when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, People were laying down their palm branches. People were singing praises to Jesus. And Peter was right there with them. And it seemed like the whole city was for him, that things were about to change, that Jesus was about to be crowned king, that this was going to be the moment. And in a matter of a few days, the whole city turned against them. And they arrested Jesus. And they charged him. And they brought him out to beat him before they would execute him and lead him to the cross. And in that moment where Jesus probably needed his friends the most, Peter abandoned Jesus. Peter walked away. The Bible tells us that there are these moments as Jesus is being beaten and tortured, that Peter is across the way watching, and people are asking Peter, saying, hey, weren't you with him when he came into the city? Peter said no. People were saying, hey, you sound like Jesus. You you have the same accent. Are Are you from the same town? Do you know him? Peter said, no, I don't know. His teacher, his friend, his Messiah, and his Savior, when he needed Peter the most, Peter was gone. Not only gone, but denied that he even knew Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, From what the Bible says, Peter wasn't there. And Jesus died on the cross. The Bible teaches us that Jesus died for your sins and and for mine. And the Bible teaches that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter was one of the first to find out that the tomb was empty. And he ran to the tomb. And he saw an empty tomb. His body, Jesus' body wasn't there. And in that moment, how do you think Peter felt? I think a mix of emotions. I mean, confused, his, his teacher, his rabbi, his savior had just died and now the tomb is empty. Hopeful that maybe it's actually true. Maybe this miracle happened. Maybe Jesus was back. But probably also ashamed and maybe even a little afraid to see Jesus. And probably discouraged that whatever Jesus now has planned and whatever Jesus is now going to do, Peter probably thought, I'm not going to be part of it because I let him down at the end. I abandoned him at the end. And we see this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. We don't have time to, to read it today, but I encourage you sometime to go back and read it. John chapter 21. We see this story where Peter's out fishing with some of the disciples. They're probably went to go see him like, hey, Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is back. And Peter's probably still not even really knowing where he is, what his standing is with the disciples. And he's out fishing and Jesus shows up on the shore. And Peter's so excited that he jumps out of the boat and just wades through the water and runs to the shore to see Jesus. And as he's there in just the perfect way that Jesus knows, in a personal, applicable, perfect way, Jesus talks to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I do. So go, then feed my sheep. And in a way that's just perfect and personal. Jesus restores Peter, who denied him three times, by asking him, hey, let's just, let's just set the record straight for your guilt, Peter. Your sins have been forgiven, Peter, but for your sake, I'm just going to ask you three times, Peter, do you love me? And gives him a chance to make up for it. And then Peter's back in. And he's part of the church, and the church grows, and he plays this huge part, and it's an amazing Amazing story. But it shows us the pattern in the heart of God towards us. That even when we turn from Him and abandon Him and reject Him, He pursues us with love and forgiveness again and again and again. Romans 5 8 sums it up this way God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much, that chapter says, that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, or another verse in that chapter says, while we were still enemies of God, God made the first move, God took the first step, and God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life without sin and died on the cross for your sins and mine. And God took it upon himself to make the relationship right again through the work of his son. He did it all. He did it all. He took it all himself so that we can be restored and we can have a relationship with him. That's the good news of our faith. And that's the model that we are called to follow as Christians. Man is a high bar. But with God's power and the pattern that he showed, we can love people the way that God has loved us. And if we do it, we can change the world through our relationships and our friendships and our love for the people around us. Take a minute and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for those of us here who are in the midst of conflict and broken friendships. And I'm going to pray especially for those of us here who say, hey, the conflict I've got is between me and God. And I just need him to move in my heart. And so let's take a minute, let's pray together, let's pray for God to work in our lives. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us the power to love people the way that you love them. Lord, that you would just break our hearts with the good news and love of the gospel, that we would realize how far we are from you and how good you are, how you made the first move and how you've loved us. Lord, I pray for my friends here who are still trying to figure out their faith and where they stand with you, or maybe they've been following you for a long time and things things have gotten weird. They feel like they've gone off course or they feel like they've gone astray. Lord, remind them of your love. Remind them that the door is always open for them to come home. And Lord, that you pursue and pursue and pursue relentlessly because you love us. Pray, God, that you would bring great faith and that you bring restoration to families and friendships all in our community that we would be known and marked by our love for you and for the people around us. God, that you would move through that and that you would bring in the people who need that love, bring in the desperate, bring in the lonely, work in the people here who are right there. God, that you would bring fullness to our lives and that you would do it through your love, poured out and overflowing into us. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Well, hey, church, thank you for being here with us. We are going to close out our time together uh, with a song. So I encourage you to stand up and we're going to sing together as we close. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.